0: That's who. Voice of the Pacers, Valley Sports Indiana, Chris Airy joins us. I talked about this, Chris, at the outset of the show. What they did last night was – to me exactly what I've been trying to explain when people tell me that was an entertaining loss or tell me you know you really don't want them to win you want to have them with the best possibility inside the draft lottery I always say I want to see them grow and with growth is winning and you you know you grow off of that you get confidence off of that I thought last night was a tremendous example of what I've been talking about here for the past couple of months.
1: No question. I'm in total agreement with you, and especially, you know, playing without Tyrese Halliburton, who this year, stats-wise, is one of the top closers uh, in clutch time in the NBA. And, uh, you know, coming off that disappointing performance where you couldn't close out Charlotte, uh, John, I've said this, that Toronto is as good at atmosphere as there is in the NBA. They had 19,800. It was loud. Uh, They had won seven straight there, uh, nine out of ten. The Pacers had lost 15 straight in that building. And yet when Toronto made its fourth quarter run, the Pacers never gave in. They never gave up the lead. It was tied, I think, maybe once or twice. Uh, but the Pacers were always able to at least keep them a little bit at arm's length. And and you're right. And for this group and, and for somebody like Andrew Nemhardt and Benedict Matherin, it's important to, to learn how to close out games. It's, it's important to learn how to win. Um, in tough environments. And so I think that's exactly what they did last night. Uh, they did not want to do what they did on Monday. And that, as you said, come, come close. Uh, they wanted to win. And uh, I can assure you that, you know, sitting on the bus last night with those guys uh, as we went to the airport to fly to Boston, I mean, they were all, you know, even Tyrese Halliburton, he's reliving the game with his teammates because he was proud of what he saw. So, yeah, I, I, I just think experiences like that uh, will help this team moving forward.
0: Kristen Neri joins us, and it's also interesting to note that they did that work last night in front of Wayne Campbell and Austin Powers as well. So <laughs> that's another layer of impressive, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no question. I mean, to see Mike Myers sitting there uh, courtside. I mean, you know, we go to Madison Square Garden, and we're so used to seeing uh, – Uh, you know a lot of a lot of celebs Uh, i did not see drake in the building last night i mean he might have been there but i don't know the the
0: spotlight's not big enough yet for him is it
1: probably uh, not yeah i mean i mean what's interesting john is and to your point i was listening um sitting here in my hotel room watching golf getting ready for basketball and doing some prep and hey i've got uh, 107.5 the fan on my computer um is you, you know when you look at Toronto, they won 48 games last year. They were the fifth seed in the East. They're hanging on to stay in the play-in with virtually everybody back, right? Um, and here are the Pacers. They're a young group trying to figure out things on the run. I mean, if listening to some of your listeners, if you're buying stock, you're buying Pacers, right, because of, of what you see in the future. It's going to be an interesting offseason for Toronto, Uh, We'll see what they do here in the final eight, nine games of the year. But, I mean, they're a team that collectively has been together for some time, and yet they only are, what, a game and a half ahead of the Pacers in the standings in the East. So, um, you know, it'll be an interesting last nine games of the year.
0: I think the most vivid memory of Rodney Stuckey was Drake clapping behind his head in that postseason game, right? Is that the most vivid memory we have?
1: Yeah, we were thinking about, uh, in fact, for Jeremiah Johnson, uh, we we were talking on the bus. He had never been in the building doing a broadcast um, for a win uh, because he joined the team after the uh, as the sideline reporter after the 13-14 season. The last time the Pacers had won was in 12-13 in the regular season, and the Pacers did win game one of that series with Rodney Stuckey in toronto against the raptors but i don't think we did the game i think it was a national telecast and so we didn't get to do the game so uh yeah it was uh it was great to see especially those three three guys that hail from canada and that rick carlisle let all three start I, i just thought that was so cool it tells you the relationship he has with this group and with this team and you can see it on the bench uh I mean it's 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 really cool to see
0: so I'm assuming that they knew that never before had three Canadian players started an NBA game for the same no, team Rick, correct
1: Rick really didn't know oh, Rick okay. didn't know until until JJ told him in the pregame show he just felt that uh you know it was a great opportunity uh you were gonna start Matherin and Nemhard and he went to Aaron Niesmith after shoot around and Aaron was like absolutely I'll come off the bench. You know, let O'Shea start. This is a wonderful opportunity for him. So, uh, no, Rick did it because he felt it was the right thing to do, not knowing that it had never happened in the NBA.
0: Wow. I do you think? will will Matherin, uh, Nimhard, these some of these guys play for the Canadian Olympic team?
1: I think so. I mean, they're all on the national
0: team radar. You know how you know yeah. in, in
1: the states, uh, you know they've got like twenty-five to thirty guys on the roster, and then it. You know, as you go to World Cup and you go to the Olympics, it pairs down to 12. Uh, clearly, Matherin, um, Brissette, and Nemhard are a part of that group um, with Canadian basketball right now. Uh,
0: what's Andrew Nemhard's future with this team? Let's just say with a consistently healthy Halliburton and the makeup of this team right now. What, what do you And maybe that evolves, changes, whatever as we move further into the future. But what do you think it is right now?
1: Isn't it cool to know that the Pacers have him locked up for four years as a second-round draft pick? He got the, the most lucrative second-round contract in the history of the NBA, and now you can see why. I mean, the Pacers, when they drafted him, they, they were stunned that he was still there at 31, and they quickly you know, scooped him up. I mean, I think all of these opportunities, he can play alongside Tyrese. He can play with the second unit. He can play with T.J. McConnell. It's just getting more and more reps and more confidence. And we really, you know, he, he struggled, I, I think, in January and into February. And then he had that five-game stretch prior to the game in Charlotte where he had back-to-back 20-point games. He was really aggressive. He was assertive. And then for whatever reason, Monday night in Charlotte, he probably had his poorest game of the year. And he bounced back, you know, in big-time fashion last night. Rick Carlisle will say the reason he got in the starting lineup back in early November was because of defense. And we saw that last night. He can guard multiple players. I mean, he was guarding in the first half. He was guarding Siakam. He was guarding Van Vliet. And so think about what he was going through last night. He's the lead guard uh, trying to get his teammates involved. He scores 25 points. He has 10 assists. And on the other end, he's got to deal with probably – one of the best offensive players on the Raptors team. So, to do that as a rookie uh, is is highly impressive, and I think tells you that he's 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 going to be a good player for this franchise for many years.
0: Kristen so Chris Didere, voice of the Pacers, Valley Sports, Indiana. Pacers got back-to-backs, Boston and Atlanta, beginning tomorrow night in Boston, of course. And we'll have the coverage for you as well, Chris, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So I had a caller a little bit earlier. You probably heard that. And asked about Matherin in terms of developing a three-point shot that is much more consistent. And I answered this as follows in in terms of I, I think being you know, uh, somebody that is in the know and in the now right now this is like something that will be a trendy term to use he's a dog and I think he will go by whatever means necessary to improve and develop and the last thing I'm worried about is his development with a three point shot would you agree
1: 100% in agreement with you uh, this guy will do whatever it takes and, and think about it. Yeah, he's only shooting 32% from three, and that's down from what he shot October, November. But he's come back. He hit his only three on Monday in Charlotte. He was three for three last night and did not hesitate to, to, to put one up in a, in a critical situation in the fourth quarter. This guy will do whatever it takes. John, I, I think about somebody like Paul George when he came out, um, you know, back in the 2010 draft. He was not a three-point shooter, uh, but he honed his craft, worked on his game, um, and, and that's that's Benedict Matherin. I mean, I was sitting next to him on the bus last night going to the airport, and he, he's re-watching the game. And it's funny, I'm sitting there listening to my call with Benedict as he's re-watching you know, bits and pieces of the game. I mean, that's, that's how locked in the guy is, and uh, he will do whatever it takes. John, when he got hurt, when he sprained his ankle, his ankle touched the ground, right? I mean, it touched the ground. Right. It was as bad a sprain as we've seen, and he rehabbed as feverishly as possible because he did not want to miss a game. And I'm assuming, too, he wanted to play here or last night in Toronto. Uh, So, yeah, this this guy's a worker, and he's going to do whatever it takes to become the best. And I, I have no... I, I don't have any worries about that three-point shot. Uh, he, will, he will hone his
0: craft. Yeah, and I, the the one worry that I'd have more than that is what you just explained, is because he is such a Euro step step through type of guy, that's probably not the first time we're going to see him roll his ankle while stepping on somebody's foot in the lane like that. And I don't, I I was talking to JJ about this a couple of days ago. I would agree with him. I, I don't see how that doesn't happen so much more frequently than it does the way that it is now.
1: Yeah, that's what I told Quinn when it happened. And you think about. Uh, how he contorts his body and how, uh, you know, he attacks, that, yeah, you are surprised that it, it came to almost game, you know, 70 uh, before something like that happens. So, you know, really good that he only missed four games. Um, and and, and uh, I, I don't have any worries about this guy. I mean, he's averaging almost 17 as a rookie. Uh, he's been tremendous. And that's what I, that's what I say uh, about this group. John is, you know, I was listening to you earlier. If you look at teams that have built with youth um, of late, Cleveland and Memphis. If you just go back a couple of years ago, those teams were winning twenty and thirty games. Now they're in the forties and the fifties with basically the same people. They've just grown. They've just matured, and that's what you're seeing. What the Pacers hope is that they take this young group um, and and you know maybe there are some changes. There's always going to be changes as you move forward each and every year. But they've got a core that they believe in that um, as it gets older, it will get better.
0: Chris Denary, with us, how much conversation around this team, if at all, is centered around the possibility of a play-in?
1: I think, I mean, this group, you know, if you talk to the players, I mean, this group, I mean, you have so many of them that have never been in the postseason. I mean, they've never played... You know, what they would consider a meaningful game. I mean, I think, um, let's see, a few years, O'Shea set was in the play-in with the Pacers against uh, Charlotte and Washington. Miles Turner, uh, T.J. McConnell's been in the postseason. Neesmith, of course, with Boston, has been in the postseason, but not not as a person that or a player that played very much. War of the same, won a championship in Milwaukee. Um, they've got George Hill to lean on. I mean, George Hill... I think has been in the playoffs 13 of the 15 years he's been in the NBA and twice got to the Eastern Conference Finals with the Pacers and uh, played in the finals with Cleveland. So they've got some guys, Daniel Tice. They've got some guys that have ex- experienced it, but if you look at the guys that are in the main rotation, no, they've not played in the postseason. Matherin, Nemhard, uh, Heald, uh, Halliburton. So it's something that they want to experience, and, and they want to do it. Um, because it's meaningful. And we'll you know we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, Chicago losing last night helps, narrows the gap. Uh, the Pacers own the tiebreaker with both Toronto and Chicago. Uh, they own the tiebreaker with Washington as well, who's just behind them because they have a better conference record. So from that standpoint, the Pacers are in pretty good shape. But you've got to win games, and you've got as difficult a back-to-back this weekend as possible. You've got Boston, who you beat uh, earlier in the year, uh, and then you go 22 hours later and you've got to play in Atlanta, a 5 o'clock start on Saturday. And then next week you have Dallas, Milwaukee, and Oklahoma City's playing well. So it's not like the schedule is light. You, you've got a difficult schedule that you've got to try to win games to either catch up or hold your place in the East.
0: All right, speaking of Saturday, too, and Chris Denary joins us, two things always impress me about Quinn Snyder. His hair and the fact that I think he's a good coach. I do. I thought he was a yeah. good coach in Utah. I think he's going to be a, a coach of the future there in Atlanta. Are they doing anything noticeably different? Uh, are they still just kind of giving Trey Young the ball and having him go at it? Is there anything different than the way they did things under Nate McMillan?
1: You know, maybe a a, a little different. I I do think it's hard for a coach to come in from the outside and and make a lot of changes. Uh, I mean, I think back to uh, when the Pacers made a midseason switch uh, back in 2010, 2011, that was with Jim O'Brien and Frank Vogel, but Frank Vogel was an assistant on the staff. So, uh, he knew most of those players. Uh, you know, they, they've been up and down a little bit, you know, even since uh, the coaching change. Um, they lost last night uh, at Minnesota. Uh, they will not play again until the Pacers play them on Saturday. But, you know, they've got a lot of good talent. I mean, they're another team that, uh, unfortunately for Nate uh, McMillan, underachieved this year. I mean, you, you've got a number of teams. That's why the offseason is going to be – Interesting, John, because there are going to be a lot of teams that feel like, man, we've capped out with the players that we have. We need to make changes. Um, and, and that will put probably some pretty good players available out on the market. And we'll just have to wait and see how it goes.
0: I think the end of the season is really interesting in terms of guys that just kind of pop up off onto the radar that hadn't been on it for most of the season like for example what Austin Reeves has been doing since LeBron James went down uh with the Lakers and not you know in for him but being in that lineup as a part of it and getting more freedom to do stuff this is the time of year where oftentimes you see a team unearthing something that they really didn't know they had
1: yeah this sets the table for the future for players and franchises I mean I go back um, you know, to the bubble and, and how individual players, uh, I, I remember Phoenix uh, that really set the table for their run because they went eight and zero in Orlando, they were not going to be a playoff team, but, but they had players that, that, that stepped up. Cameron Payne, uh, you know, is with Phoenix now because of what he did in those eight games in the bubble. And so as you wind down this final three weeks in the regular season, as teams are jockeying, I mean, Dallas, JMB is now ninth in the West. I mean, they're they're two games removed from not even being in the playoffs. I mean, it changes every day in the West. So uh, you're right. I mean, you see somebody like Austin Reeves, this will only help his career, help his opportunities either with the Lakers or somebody else. But the Lakers now feel like, hey, this is a guy we can count on because he's doing it, in critical situations
0: speaking of Dallas have you ever been a part of a game that was protested
1: uh no uh I have not and I I, you know I've read about it and 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 looked at the video I I just don't see how they're going to win the protest I mean it if there was miscommunication I I just I just don't think there's enough there
0: (laughs) It's pretty funny though. I mean, it was I had to laugh funny. at that last night. <laughs> Looks like something fifth graders would do. <laughs> Wait a minute, what <laughs> end are we starting on here? Oh, I'm going to put it in play. Ah, oh, too bad. You
1: know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the little league outfielder sitting uh, by the fence picking uh, dandelions. I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I looked at it and I'm thinking they're all they're all by the outfield fence and and. Somebody's hitting hitting the ball a ground ball and just running around the bases. I mean it was it was crazy. And
0: for those that uh, are unaware, this is how Mark Cuban explained it via tweet last night. For those wondering about the play with 154 to go in the third, let me explain what happened. The ref called Mavs ball, the announcer announced it, and then there was a timeout. During the timeout, the official changed the call and never told us. Then, when, and it goes on talking about how you know, they inbounded the ball and blah, 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 and he's protesting that. I, I guess, also, the something I thought about, considering he does that and we're used to it. How many other owners Owners sit courtside like that. I guess Balmer with the Clippers does and goes wild. How many other owners, though, sit courtside like that and, and at times will go as crazy as those two will?
1: I don't think he goes as crazy, but you'll see Michael Jordan from time to time, you know, sitting at the end of the the Charlotte bench. Uh, but yeah, but but none of them I think go as crazy as Mark Cuban.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Balmer, Balmer will give him a run for yeah. his money sometimes <laughs> yeah. too. But yeah. yeah, that was that was odd last night. So Boston and the Hawks coming up on back to backs yeah. and a win over the Raptors last night. Chris Didieri of Valley Sports Indiana on the Andy Moore Auto Ownership Group Hotline. Everything else going all right.
1: Yeah, all good. I mean, uh, what I was going to tell you, you were uh, reminiscing about
0: 1988. Oh, yeah. And uh, Sean, Sean
1: Kemp and Chandler Thompson, I did that game on radio um, and uh, did it with my dad, my late dad. I mean, it was I still have the cassette tape. It is in my basement, and it still works because I've, uh, I've listened to it before, uh, but I did that on uh, – WXLW nine fifty for Bill Shirk. Wow! And uh, what a what a phenomenal high school game uh, between Muncie Central and uh, Sean Camp and Concord. I mean i I have vivid memories yep. about that. And of course, as you talk, you know, I was then at Butler. That that led to me going to Butler as the voice of Butler, and then of playing against those Bull State teams that then, as you said, went to the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, you uh, you took me down memory lane with your uh, 1988 reference I, question.
0: I've had, I mean, that was so incredible to watch. I mean, when you, when you think where I came from, obviously, we don't see a lot of that down there. Um, you know, the dunking, the high wire stuff that you saw in that game, but between Kemp and Chandler Thompson, that was incredible. It was just like a back and forth between the two most of the time
1: yeah i mean it was uh what jamar johnson uh who went to nebraska was on that concord team i think yep he was uh, on that C- yep
0: he was he was on that concord cedric team van- yeah who cedric else
1: van lear cedric yep. van lear played for muncie central sam long was,
0: muncie central
1: yeah yeah cedric van Leer uh was an assistant with jack key for the last number of years but uh he was an assistant this year with my good friend jim Stanbro, who coached sesina uh, into the semi-state, so Cedric is still coaching. You know, Chandler's been a coach. Uh, yeah, that. I mean, that was that was a great championship. Uh, I mean, that was phenomenal.
0: We rolled up here from Green County, me and like four other dudes, teammates, high school wise, in a 1979 green, ironically enough, two-door Ford Thunderbird. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was something i wish we had that car back right now too to be honest with you but yeah two-door green ford thunderbird 1979 back then but um, well, no it was well, a great weekend on, i can tell
1: you on saturday it is going to be a quick turnaround not just for the players but for us as broadcasters uh after tomorrow night with that five o'clock start in atlanta but i will have uh, ihsa tv valley sports dialed up uh watching those games in the morning uh my sons uh went to garen catholic and so garen will be playing in the uh the game really it'll be opposite our our telecast against the hawks so it'll be on valley sports plus but yeah, it's always a great weekend. Uh, Indiana Pacers franchise is proud to be a sponsor with the IHSA of uh, the Basketball State Championships. Colts do a great job with football. So, yeah, it will be a great day for basketball at gamebridge Fieldhouse on Saturday. Yeah,
0: that lineup that Chris is talking about right here, Southwood and Lutheran at 10.30 a.m., those are two teams that get up and down the floor in 2A, Fort Wayne Blackhawk, Matt Roth, the former Hoosier, their head coach, and Linton, the Miners. Joey Hart, the son, is going to Central Florida, and he's a very dynamic player that you'll enjoy. That's a twelve forty-five. The 3A, as Chris mentioned, Garen Catholic in Northwood, and then the 4A game, you'll see if Ben Davis and Don Carlisle can go unbeaten on the season. Uh, but you got Flory Badunga in the way. Kokomo and Ben Davis at 8-15. You could not ask for a better lineup, Chris. Oh, no. I mean, you've, you've got some outstanding teams. Uh, I,
1: My dad coached at Northfield, and so I'm very familiar with Southwood because that was uh, the school that shared the same school corporation up in Wabash County. Did your dad and coach fact, the
0: Ross twins in Northfield? Is that where the no, John and Joe Ross that went to Notre Dame twins played we, high school?
1: That's where they went, but yep. we were gone before then. We had moved to Westfield okay. prior to the Ross twins uh, coming to Northfield, and Uh, Because uh, the Ross twins, uh, shoot, I think they were doing they were playing for Notre Dame uh, when I was doing Butler games. I think you're right. I think
0: they're more my age. So,
1: yeah, they're not quite into the 60s like uh, like I am. Uh, But no, uh, uh, Garen Catholic, uh, my middle son, Will, played in the regional final back in like 2010. And they played Southwood. Southwood had beaten Deshaun Thomas yeah. uh, in the morning game of the regional, and then Southwood beat Garen Catholic. I mean, Garen's won two state titles already, and they're trying for a third, and that school's only been open, uh, I don't even, it's been not even 20 years. So uh, should be should just should be a great day of basketball at Cambridge uh, Field.
0: It's going to be a populated, I'm sure this game probably will, with a number of Joe Wright's kids too, by the way. <laughs> That's
1: right, <laughs> uh, and you, you know, uh, you know who has a son. I believe on the team is uh, Brian. Yeah,
0: Cardinal. Brian Cardinal. Yeah, yeah. So Brian
1: Cardinal has a son at Garin. So yeah,
0: and it's yeah, it's incredible. It's going to be fun, fun, fun to sell. That's a good Joe and John Ross recall right there from Northfield back then. So that
1: is that is well, my dad got there after Steve Offeld had graduated. Okay, so Steve Offeld who played at IU. Uh, is a Northfield Norseman. So I was a I was a member of the Norse for a couple of years, and then we
0: moved to Westfield my junior year, and I became a Shamrock. It, do you know is Chira Busco still a high school? I believe so. Yeah, uh, there was a uh, I say kid. He's my age. They had a player back uh, when I was in high school. I think graduated around '87 or '88, named Jeff Perlich. And the reason why I know this is I, I followed him to a degree when I was a senior because that's when the three-point shot uh, was instituted in high school basketball, and he shot the lights out from distance in your number one there. And it always, I was always checking to see how many threes he had in a game. And I think his name was Jeff Perlich, and he may have played in one of the directional schools in Carolina. Maybe Western Carolina, maybe Eastern Carolina. I think his name was Perlitch or Perlick, something like that. But I remember following his games because that was the first year of the three-point shot to see how many he had in games. And most of the time, he had uh, uh, an incredibly uh, more massive amount of those than I did. So just always checking, though. Always caught my interest.
1: I'm way too old because that three-point shot was nowhere to be found when I played in either high school no, or college. It would so. have been such a
0: difference. In a, can you imagine the difference? I just I think about, for example, like Rick Mount, for example. Can you imagine? Oh, well,
1: yeah. Imagine? Rick Mount uh, in high school. Yeah. Billy Keller. Uh, any of those
0: guys. that yeah, uh, Jay, Jay Edwards. You know, Jay Edwards. I, I
1: will— I will say this, though. Uh, we, we did some shooting the other uh, – it was Eddie Gill and I and Ken Softman, our pre- and post-game producer. We get to the practice facility in Toronto uh, before the team, so we were out there shooting, and we are always having lots of fun doing that. Yep. But it seems like the that three-point line has gotten farther away as I've gotten older, John. I mean, it feels like it's well, a mile away now.
0: Let's think about this as we move into the future. At some point – they're going to have to widen the floor and bring. I think the three point shot out further, but don't you think now everybody is concentrating on that so much? It's not impressive any longer unless you're near the logo. I, I think at some point, I think the NBA somebody's going to address that. I would bet one of these days. Yeah, but.
1: it's going to be interesting. Or or will there or will there be a four point shot at some point? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, look at where Nemhard made his three last yeah. night. That. Uh, that cashed the game. I mean, it was deep. It was Halliburton range. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, –
0: I, 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 right. and, I mean, and listen, what gets me are the corners because you, you have all these big dudes and there's barely enough room to get their feet in there. So, yeah, and they, they kind of have guess, to Sean Elliott on, you know, their tiptoes so they don't step out of bounds.
1: Yeah, I was going to say we have at least two to three uh, step out of bounds in that corner a game. I mean, because yeah. you just uh, you just can't sit over there. No, you can't.
0: All right. Well, we'll be watching tomorrow night and Saturday night. Job well done last night. And thanks for listening as always, Chris. I appreciate you.
1: All right. Thanks, John. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
0: Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline from CBS 4 and Fox 59. He is Mike Chappell with us. And before we get to the Colts, I wanted to bring this up because you spent a long time on the beat in Anderson. And we've been going sure. over all these state championship games, state championship semifinal games. Uh, of course, you got them coming up at Gamebridge Fieldhouse coming up on Saturday. But it was a different era. It was single class back then. And you were covering Anderson when there was no place better to cover high school basketball with all the schools in that area. And in particular, the Troy Lewis-led team back when you were working in, in Anderson. had to be incredibly special.
2: Yeah, I was there from 74 to 84, and on a Friday night, you'd have 9,000 at Anderson, you'd probably have 3,000 at Madison Heights, and 3,000 at Highland. And I'm telling you, every year, they had an all-star, Ray Talbert, Mr. Basketball, and they were always, you know, 18-2. Norm Held's teams were just great, could never... Get over the hump, whether it was Marion or Muncie Central or somebody or Connorsville beat them one year, Uh, but it was that's why uh, when you've mentioned Brooks Barnheiser, uh, I covered his dad, you know Mark at Lapel, yep, and you talked about just a shooter, just a shooter, but that's what we had, and there there were years that our all, and I'm not really exaggerating, that our all county team might have pushed the Indiana All Stars. That's how good they were because the Ray Talberts and and, and Troy Lewis, I go back, it, it's funny, and it is so cool to think about, although it tells me how old I am. Again, when, when uh, uh, James Blackman Jr. broke his dad's record, whatever, however many years ago it's been, he scored, I don't know, 54 or 56 for Marion. I, I was there when his dad set the record against Troy Lewis and like yep. the semi-state scored 52 or 54 and Troy scored like 46. So it was just great. The North Central Conference with yep. Steve Allford and, yep. and all those and the Richmonds and the Marians, uh, unbelievable. And then I come to the star and one of the first things I did was covered like the one of the sectionals with, that had tech in it. Had like fifty people in the stands. I'm thinking, really? <laughs> so <laughs> it was a different. It was a different thing, and I, I'm glad I was there for the kind of the golden era. Because uh, one thing, I uh, the, the last one, remember with, with uh, Larry Bird made the All-Star team. Seventy-four. Uh, it's when Roy Taylor and and yep. Steve Collier were, were co-Mister Basketball's, and I still, I swear to God, I was there. I think it was a Butler. And and they were just kicking the crap all out of Kentucky, second half. And Kirby Overman looked down the bench and wanted Larry Bird to go in. You know, they're, they're winning by 20. And Larry Bird basically said, pound sand, and he wouldn't go in. Because <laughs> uh, Larry Bird thought he was greatly disrespected, and right. he probably was. Yeah. But just, just great times, great times.
0: Yeah, that's something right there. It is. So that's, that's 74. And, you know, you got – I think you, you got out of Anderson right before – and I, obviously you covered the North Central Conference, and Marion was a right. part of that right before Purple Rain got underway if you said you were there until 84. So.
2: Right. It, it, and, again, I, that, it, it's just funny how things work Is I was still at the Anderson paper, and I was looking to move, and uh, I got the job at the Star, and it just so happened that the Colts' first training camp was in Anderson. So, since I was still living up there for a while, I, I sort of worked with John Bans to, to cover the Colts. And then, you know, I just, I just stayed with it and kept doing more and more and then took it over.
0: For lack of a better description of Mike Chapel's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, I've called it the uh, the wow sticker from Kroger, is how I shop, compared to what Chris Ballard does in free agency. I, I think it's almost like, and no disrespect at all here, it's like the dented can section of uh, the grocery store or the dented can section of big lots is where he's kind of shopping, but up and down, how do you assess the work that has been done in the past couple of weeks by Ballard?
2: Kind of what I expected. I mean, it, he said some things and it was either in January or at the combine where, you know, maybe I need to reassess the way I do things or how we do things. And then people thought, oh boy, they're going to start throwing money here and there and all this. And, and, and maybe there was a thought about, changing somewhat of the approach, but th- th- this is this has been who they are. I I, I just – anyone who thought they were going to drastically change and he's going to go down – if he goes down, they're going to go down doing what they do. So it, it, it's funny, and it, it took a lot of heat for the uh, Matt Gay signing. You know, and he's now like the second-highest paid kicker in, in, in the league. Well, we all agreed that that Chase McLaughlin needed to be re-signed. Well, you got better than Chase McLaughlin. You know, Chase did a great job; he really did. But Matt Gay is better, and he's he's more consistent, and he got just as much, you know, leg strength. And okay, yeah, it's it's what five and change a year, but it's a kicker. It's not like you're overpaying for a receiver or or a love, you know, or another position. To where when you're overpaying, you're really overpaying. You know, in, in building a roster terms. $5 million for a kicker, yeah, it's a lot. But but it, 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 relatively speaking, it's not. And you've got this thing taken care of now, that position, for four years. Now, I still, you know, I, I, they still need a receiver. They still need a right, they need a right guard. They, they they need a starting right guard. Uh, You know, their starting corners from last year are gone. So if they stopped right now, then they didn't do enough. But they're not going to stop right now. You know, remember they got Rodney McLeod who was one of their better defensive players, you know, later. So th- they're not done yet. And we'll see how they handle this quarterback situation. And then if they stay at four, that gives them a second-round pick to get a wide receiver again or a corner. So I, I, I like sort of what they, they've they done, but I'm, I always tend to look at the glass still being half empty, and it's still half empty with, you know, again, offensive line. You need, you need a backup tackle. Well, that'll come. But right now, incomplete, but that's how it is with a lot of teams because you still got a lot of time to
0: go. So, Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Uh, one of your, uh, your uh, writing colleagues, it's Greg Doyle, the star, uh, documented, I think, in a column this morning how he believes this is going to go down in terms of a trade down uh, regarding Hendon Hooker. And, uh, again, Chris... Kind of with me, I know, kind of joked about a trade-down thing. And I never dismiss it because it is Chris Ballard. But I still am here to talk about because that's what I heard in October and it's been consistent since then. And, you know, could they find somebody else or a different direction they would rather go because all these quarterbacks are in their evaluation so closely – tightly wound with one another right here, talent evaluation wise. However, I could still see them trading down. I still believe, though, they hang it four and go with the guy they're all going to go watch tomorrow in Lexington and Will Levis. What say you?
2: Yeah, I, I just I just wish I knew how they, they looked at these guys. And they're not going to share it. Why should they? But if they believe you know, they're not going to get one of the top two, that's gone with, with Bryce Young and and, and Stroud. But do they think one of the other two guys, Levis or or Richardson, is that good? And, and, and if you do, then you do. Then you, you draft him. Whether you, if you're that sold on the guy, you might move up to three so someone doesn't get your guy. You don't want to be sitting there at four, and and get the the last guy, whoever that might be, unless it happens to be your guy. But but yeah, I, I just think if, if they're convinced that that guy is that guy, you get him. What happens if they if they look at the, the non-top two guys and they say, you know, we're not all that sold on them. Then do you take him at four and, and crush your fingers? Or do you, you know, one thing that Chris Ballard said, and it's really true, he said we could stay at four and we'll get the best player in the draft. And let's say quarterbacks go one, two, three. Right. They, they stay at four. They're going to get the best player in the draft because the best player in the draft is not a quarterback. And I think
0: that's what Greg was alluding to in that column, right, was get get set maybe not to have a quarterback at four, maybe a trade-up scenario on the second round and, and try to get Hendon Hooker. I think that was the scenario he's putting yeah. together. So it, we it, all have but ours. But
2: again, you've got to be sold that Hendon Hooker, and again, until he got hurt, he might have been a top-five guy on his own. I thought I saw something today where it said he might he, – there's a good chance to be ready for the start of the season, but whoever you take at four, I just don't see them rolling that guy out there in September. You're going to go with Minshew to start with, and if you believe Hendon Hooker is the guy and all of that, then fine. You 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 get a pass rusher, you get a left tackle. You can't take a cornerback that high, but but or you trade back and get a couple of those guys, but. You better be damn sure that Hendon Hooker is the guy. Again, we tend to go black and white here, and it just feels like they, you know, and I'm convinced that they have got to get this quarterback right this year. I don't think you can sell anybody on, well, you know, we'll do this, and, boy, next year's quarterback class, there's a couple of really, really good guys there. We're going to kick the can again. I'm not sure they've got the luxury of doing that. I, I really don't. I think they've got to sort of, kind of, put their money on you know the nose of a horse, and go with him. But but of course you've got to have some conviction with the guy. So we'll see. You know, I, I, I'm really curious how they how they have these guys. Do they think all four guys are pretty good? Do they, do they think two is are really good and two are just eh, uh, and they're not going to share at all and, and they shouldn't.
0: I'm sure you're right, Mike, and I know that this is going to be a major option they have with Gardner Minshew, but I've always thought this way, and I'm going to think this way coming out of this draft, whomever they pick. I hope that they're either, in my opinion, ready to go and be thrust in there, or they're close to ready to go and be thrust in there. And I know that's why they have Gardner Minshew, and that's probably not going to be much of a worry, but I I want to finally see this team – I want to see them over-deliver a little bit. And I want to see their quarterback get in there, thrown in, and start to develop. So, I, like, I, like, I'm not, you know, these, these, you know, these, uh, holding them back because, you know, you're worried about that. Hopefully, to me, that they're ready-made the earlier the better with a rookie so quarterback. No, no
2: question. No so. question. I'm not saying redshirt the guy. But I, I just not, I'm not sure whomever they would have taken. Say they get the first pick and they take. Stroud or Young, would that guy have started Week One? Maybe, maybe I don't know. But but I, until they until we know that they've got this line fixed, you know you better be darn sure you get the line a lot better before you know they, they gave up sixty sacks last year, and, and that doesn't take into account all the hits. So you got to make sure that that the, that the whole team that the offense is ready for that guy, and just don't throw him out there and say hey. You'll learn from you'll learn from getting your your head beat in. So uh, and, and, you know, keep in mind that when when Peyton came in here in '98, he had a darn good line. I mean, he had, that, that was a good offense. I mean, it was a you know Marvin and, and, and fault Marcus Pollard, and, and he had his tackles. That was a good line. That was a good offense to go into. That, that's not where they are now. But there's no question. I I, I don't draft a guy unless it's a hooker or uh, the, the the Tennessee kid, and, and you're saying this might be something of a red shirt year, but maybe, you know, in November, December, he's ready because, you know, the team's not playing very well or whatever. I'm okay with that. But uh, it's just going to be so interesting how these guys view these quarterbacks. And, and again, we'll beat this to, to death until the end of April. They've got to get a guy. G- give the fan base give everybody screw the media i mean we don't you know we don't matter show the fan base that you've got a plan and sink or swim this is your guy you, you believe in him enough to, to make him the pick and the fan base will be fine with a tough year next year if they see light you know and, and that lights the quarterback and i just they cannot kick the kick the can down the road again can't do it they, they have to they 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 have to find something. I mean, the absolute worst position to be in is finally sit at number four and everybody says this is a good quarterback class, and the Colts say, I don't think so. Well, then you're really in a tough spot. Gardner Minshew, is, he, he can be a short-term guy, maybe a 17-game starter, and we'll see what it takes you. But you've got to give the fan base and everybody else a reason to think that you've got your act together and then in a year or so you're, you're going to be competing for the division title if not what are you
0: doing it's uh, Mike Chapel of CBS 4 and Fox 59. Again, the Will Levis Pro Day is coming up tomorrow. Bryce Young was today down in Tuscaloosa. C.J. Stroud had basically uh, everybody but the uh, night watchman, I think, involved at that yesterday in Columbus from Carolina in their Pro Day. So, obviously, we kind of think where they're going to be zeroing in on as far as the drafting of a quarterback is concerned. Mike's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. This was brought up to me. Uh, in terms of Lamar Jackson, and still, it's a lot quieter, but it still does exist, a little bit of conversation regarding the Colts with Lamar Jackson, and that is obviously not the path that I would take whatsoever, but I'm curious. You mentioned a fan base that right now goes into the season knowing how they're likely going to look, but does do the Colts owe to this fan base going after the best available at this point, if he is going to be available, if they could get him, do they owe it to the Colts fans to try to be much better than what we believe them to be at that position with this team going into 2023 by making a run at Lamar Jackson, or do they more owe it in taking their time and working in a rookie quarterback moving forward?
2: Well, they certainly owe it to the fan base and everyone else to give a, a long, hard discussion and, and not just a, yeah, we're going to do that. You have to have a long discussion. I'm not all that concerned about giving up two draft pick, or two first round picks if that's what it takes. No, I'm not no. either. I'm not. Now the two hundred and some th- or a million dollars in in guaranteed money, that's different. That that is that's real, and it's. I realize you can do a lot of stuff with the cap. You can,
0: but that's, my, my this thought my my fault is longevity and his his yeah, that, availability. You know, that's the thing with me.
2: That's tied to the guaranteed money. What's he missed? You know, he's missed so many games the last two years. And he's a great talent, and it, there's no question that Shane Steichen knows how to work with a with a mobile quarterback. with a, not mobile, but with a running quarterback. I mean, that that would be ideal. I mean, it would it would work, but uh, I, the longevity matters, and, and but that's tied to the, to the guaranteed money and in what it won't allow you. It, it will as much as you can do what you want to do with the cap. That kind of, that that kind of investment will restrict you to some level. It, it just will. To where again, if you, if you if you if you really like a guy, you know, to a certain level, to, to to the necessary level in the draft, then you've got that guy, you know, on the rookie contract for four years, and then the fifth year gets kind of gets pricey. But boy, you at least have to talk about Lamar Jackson, and and we've probably talked it. One reason teams are reluctant. To mess with these guys is maybe Baltimore is just saying, yeah, go ahead and get an offer sheet and it, with the idea they're going to match it. You know, that that that's, you know, a lot of times that's what teams do. So all you're doing is negotiating for the original team. But, uh, you know, you, you've, you've got to think about it. I, I would much rather go with, in this instance, a rookie. This isn't like getting DeForest Buckner instead of the 13th pick in the draft. I, I'd take DeForest Buckner any day over that. This is different, but there's just so many factors that go, and we're probably going to hear more noise you know, linking the Colts to this. I know Mike Lombardi's really had a story out there, and it's going to be more and more, but we hear nothing from the Colts, which we never hear anything from the Colts because they're very good at keeping it to themselves. But I'm just not sure that, that the money investment with, with a guy who, because of the way he plays, is, is likely to get hurt. Uh, Boy, he would be great. If he stays healthy, he'd be great for your franchise. He'd give an instant boost. He'd give instant competitiveness to you. I just think it's it's something that's more interesting to talk about than actually to do.
0: Isaiah McKenzie earlier this week was signed. Wide receiver that was cut loose for monetary reasons against the cap in Buffalo. Would you have rather the Colts kept Paris Campbell in this case, if we're going to compare the two and their numbers, especially from last year, and especially with Paris Campbell coming off, you know, a season in which he stayed healthy. Was that more you think about a Paris decision, more that the Colts wanted to move on? Who would you have rather had if you had to choose between the two in this scenario, Mike?
2: Oh, probably Paris just because it's, he's more, <laughs> the problem is he going to say he's more than the known, but a lot of the known is the injury thing. You know, maybe the Colts looked at, Last year, as the aberration, you know, in the first three years, are are, are with the injuries, is more what to expect. Uh, I, I can't. I just can't. After all the times we spent talking to Paris, and w- what a great guy, what a great locker room guy. I never got the impression where he thought, boy, when I get a chance, I'm getting the hell out of here. I've had enough of this. I, I never got that at all. I thought he really liked it here. He was the community and all that. I wonder. I wonder if Shane Steichen looked at him and thought, "No, I'd rather have someone else, a different body type." I mean, these these players are totally different in how they're built. What McKenzie's, what, what five eight, five nine. Uh, so, but but you know, all things being equal, and I've not seen McKenzie's contract. Paris didn't get a monster contract. Got get a nice one for him, but all things being equal, I might have stuck with Paris hoping that, you know, hoping that injuries are past him. But I'd really like to know what Shane Steichen thought about it and whether he said, yeah, I'd rather have somebody else.
0: Look how much of a voice he's got in there. I know he's going to have a voice. I understand well, he that. Needs,
2: he, needs to have, he needs to have a voice in the offense. He just does.
0: I, I would agree because we all question whether or not Frank had very much of one. Clearly, with Carson Wentz and talking Jim Irsay into that, he did. But – at the same Philip time, Rivers you kind of wondered player Rivers personnel too. wise how much of a voice he had or how loud it was, I guess, compared to Yeah, Chris's. but I,
2: I think he did early on because it was, you know, Philip Rivers was, it was his guy too. Right. Uh, and, and maybe that voice got a little bit less when Carson Wentz kind of, you know, didn't work out. And that, that, was, that was Frank standing on a table saying, this is the guy. And, and, and I tell you, we all
0: thought. Yeah, Matt Ryan was Jim Ursay's voice, right? That was Jim Ursay's well, voice. Which one? Matt Ryan. Was that Jim Merseys? Yeah. Because because you gotta get rid of this guy and you gotta find somebody out there that can take over the reins. So that's maybe why they they misevaluated yeah, keep, keep, keep
2: somebody. In mind, keep in mind Matt Ryan wasn't available when they cut
0: Carson Wentz. But, but everybody he thought get... he was going to be though. I mean everybody probably, thought probably. that they were gonna be.
2: But but you know it's it, 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 that just showed you how done they were with Carson Wentz. They didn't care who their quarterback was. <laughs> well, that's, yeah,
0: that's the point here. Yeah, so
2: right. So and again, I we were all. I, I was in favor of Carson Wentz at the time. I thought maybe if they could fix him, and I was on board with Matt Ryan because I thought you'd give him an offensive line and a, and a running game, which they did neither. That's why again the owner was really has really been vocal. Over the last year, they've got to draft their own. They've got to develop their own. And this is the year that allows them to do that. And that's why, you know, come April 27th, they need to get their guy.
0: I had a caller earlier this week that said, hey, you're sitting there talking about quarterbacks and this and that, but it's the offensive line. you got to handle that before you handle the quarterback. And my response was it better – Already be handled other than right guard, meaning it, it, it better be just a stark contrast to what we saw a year ago, you know, back to what everybody thought was going to be the reality because if it they isn't they don't
2: need to be yes they don't need to be a top they don't need to be a top well, 5 offensive line well but, i mean but,
0: that's they, they they have to make over themselves right Correct. It, it, this is not something where you go out and hey pick somebody in the draft other than you have to address right guard but they they've got to make do with what they have and that's look in the mirror and be better
2: well they they've got to have already decided that that four of those spots are going to at least be okay and 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 they need to be better than okay I mean, they're again banking on Bernard Ryman. Uh, he, he, he showed a lot more going into this this year than what Matt Pryor did going into last year. But they've got to be convinced that Quentin comes back to his his, his level, Braden Smith does, and Ryan Kelly. And if if one or two of those guys don't, then then I don't know what you do. But they, again, they, they need a right guard, and, and you can I hate to this on guard. You, I think you can find a good guard. I really do. But you you need you need a swing tackle. They need depth on that offensive line that they don't have right now. But it, yeah, if if the line doesn't work, I don't know that it matters who you put back there because they're going to get they're going to get beat up, harassed. The running game is going to struggle. In your and you're throw the ball ten yards down the field like like Matt Ryan and those other guys had to last year.
0: So Mike Chappell of CBS Four and Fox fifty nine. Before I let you go, anything else we looking for? Are They going to address um, maybe a little bit of help at, at tight end, or, or are they going to feel comfortable moving forward where they are there?
2: Well, they drafted a couple guys last year, and you know, and re- really they had three because they reinvested in Mo. I wonder if Jack Doyle could come back and play. You know, I bet he's pretty happy, happy what he's doing right now. But, you know, that, that's probably third or fourth on my list of what they need. And, and that tells you how strong, in my mind, they need other things because tight ends were not good enough last year, and I think primarily in, 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 in the run game, in blocking. So it's, that's why I say if you stopped right now, they've not done nearly enough. But you've got nine picks in the draft you're going to have this second and third wave of free agency where they normally find pretty good players. They, people can bitch and moan and we do about not, you know, really going after the high profile guys. They do a pretty good job of, of, of packing the roster with these mid-level guys who are pretty good. And that's what you need. But, but, but you also need those guys at the top of your roster that make a difference. If you look at the way the roster is built right now, the, top seven or eight cap numbers are on linemen. You know, and it should be your quarterback. Your quarterback should be up there at the top. It's not for a reason, you know, because they've messed it up so much. But as good as they've been about making this roster pretty good from top to bottom, they've got to find some shock players. And until they get those players who just make other teams stand up and notice, it's going to be a struggle. And it starts at quarterback.
0: It is worth noting that three of the AFC South's finest are 27th through 32nd in the post-free agency power rankings, with the Colts being number 32 overall, and the Jaguars of Jacksonville currently ranked six. That's completely meaningless, but I thought I'd bring it up anyway.
2: But but, but it tells you how everybody views them. Yeah. It, but, but I think there's there's some reality to it. Why, why, how how could you sit there and argue? You could argue the Colts don't need to be thirty-two, I guess, but but I, I couldn't argue very strong. I mean, they they couldn't beat Houston last year, so it, it's it, they've got work to do, and it's I, I'm curious how they do it, but they've got to get back to where they're relevant in the division. And, and you're not going to get Manning or, or Luck, but boy, get you a quarterback who gives you a reason to believe. <laughs>
0: It's so Mike Chapel of CBS Four and Fox Fifty Nine. Mike, enjoy that week. Did, did, you, What's did, it? did you say you're in Anderson, or you go to Anderson tomorrow? I'm going to Anderson tomorrow. Harris, who's park racing? You and were casino. talking about,
2: you know, Chick Fil A and Frishes. Yes. And the last Frishes I went to, I don't know if it's still. It was in It's Anderson. still there.
0: Yeah, it's still there. There's on, one on in
2: Broadway. Is it on going out north on nine right, or whatever it is?
0: Right, it is still there, and I think there's one in in Greensburg as well. So here.
2: There, there used to be two. There used to be another one there at the at the Anderson Mall, which is you know gone. Right. right. But yeah, Dad always used to go there and get, get their patty melt, and, <laughs>
0: and 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 they're just disappearing. That's too bad. I love Fresh's big but the big boys yep. at Reds games, big boys and fries. Yep. There awesome. you go. Absolutely awesome. Yep. So, all right, buddy. I appreciate it. Next week.